Hi, welcome to another episode of Mixology Collection Podcast. My name is Damien. And for those of you that don't know me, my name's Roop. And for those that do, he's the now number eight, Damien. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. Sounds like you're on a tropical island somewhere. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm at a campfire trailer HQ, actually, at the moment. Um, and we've got some uh, birds in, in the house. So if you hear any chirping or flybys, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what's going on. But it's really cool, man. It, they keep us company. So uh, it, it kind of helps us get through our day. So it's pretty, pretty insane. How are you doing, brother, more importantly? I'm good. Um, it's been a busy week. Launched a new website, new business. So that kept me on my toes. Had a really nice weekend with the little one. So um, she's just growing day by day. And just every morning seeing her smile is just a, a great way to uh, to get me motivated to uh, to move forward basically no it's good that's beautiful man that's beautiful so you know what yeah go on then we made it past episode seven officially officially so (laughs) so for those of you that didn't uh didn't get to hear episode seven why not um but there's a statistic out there um that says most new podcasts don't make it or on average don't make it past uh, seven episodes but here we are on episode eight incredible right absolutely and uh i think we've got we're gonna have a really good show. We've got a great guest. Yeah, um, man. And I think we should just dive in. Yeah, we should. We should. I mean, I, I let you do the last introduction. I think this time I'm I'm gonna do the introduction only because this is a gentleman um, that kind of for me really up the levels when it came to drink creativity. Somebody that I followed and took took a little bit of inspiration from in the way that I tried to create my drinks, man. Um, yeah, he kind of came out of nowhere, but definitely made his stamp, stamp on this industry. So um, I'm going to try and pronounce his name correctly. So please correct me if I am wrong with this, but it's Mr. Marion Becky. How are you, sir? Yes, I'm very well. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> Good did morning. I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Oh, you did thank, very well. Thank you. Thank, thank God for that. How are you, sir? Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm good, thank you. As as the conditions are right, so finishing our refurbishment at the bar and uh, getting ready to reopen. So let's see, a couple more days maybe. Yeah, Something like that. there's a lot been going on. I mean, uh, thank you for for joining us so early. I mean, this is the earliest one we've had in a while. Isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Although it is five o'clock somewhere. So if anybody does fancy a little uh, <laughs> a little tipple, then please go ahead. So, so how's, uh, how's lockdown been treating you, Marion? How, how's things on your end been? Oh, well, firstly, it's, it's not that bad because everyone I know uh, is actually healthy and uh, safe, you know, so could be worse. Uh, but for the business, like everyone else in our industry, we, we closed. We are closed since March. Uh, but with that to be said, we, we, we start doing pre-made cocktails and the bundles on the side. So, uh, yeah, it's not that bad, you know, we we did the things we did a refurbishment we did few things that i would probably never do because i'm actually never at home and i travel and i work uh yeah it could be always worse but we are still on the beginning of of the fight right we're gonna we're gonna reopen now and uh, as it seems for our industry and for hospitality and uh, for the economy i think it's gonna be actually very difficult for next uh, next year or something like that so let's see yeah i think we'll, we'll come on to where you are now a little bit later on, but I want to go back to the start. And a lot of our guests, it seems that they got into hospitality because they needed a job. Um, they needed to make some money whilst they were studying, but you actually came from a family that were very much in the trade. 
little bit different trade. Yes, uh, it's a hospitality. But my father is uh, in, in the wine business since I was maybe ten or something like that. So uh, and he still got his wine cellars. Uh, so yeah, I was in that, and I studied uh, at private uh, hotel school. So uh, yeah, I fall in love with it. But it was not the bar. It was more. I was thinking maybe hotel. I was thinking maybe sommelier. Uh, because obviously I, I, I was born in Slovakia and back, you know, 20, 25 years ago, there was no cocktail bars in Slovakia at all. So, uh, yeah, with, with my, with my uh, father's business, I thought maybe a sommelier, that's what I started doing. <clears throat> but then actually I visited my first cocktail bar somewhere in Prague and, uh, yeah, I fell in love with, uh, with the cocktail bar bar. So was it just the, the flavors? Was it the, the showmanship? You know what? I think it was mainly the freedom of the bartender because uh when i i think that day i was i was already on a way to be a sommelier but you know you you have a product which is beautiful don't get me wrong i mean uh, there is a thousands and thousands of labels of wines any flavor you can imagine but that freedom of you actually doing something with that product and i mean modifying it is very little but when i looked at this cocktail bartender i was like wow look at this guy he's talking to the people, he's changing the cocktail. The cocktail can be anything, you know, tropical cocktail, classic cocktail, bitter, sweet, sour, savory. And that's something that uh, that was for me the main, main uh, change. You know, the, the, when I've seen that, I said, wow, this is this is a chef. This is a chef, but behind bar top. So, um, so I think your first job was at Paparazzi? Uh, yes, was one of the first jobs, yes. Uh, and this was in Bratislava? That's correct. Yes, I have to go to our capital city. There was that time when I was maybe eighteen. It was maybe two, three cocktail bars <clears throat> back in uh, Bratislava. Uh, I started there maybe one year or two years, not too long. I think I was nineteen or twenty, early twenties, when I came to London. Uh, just as the next step, you know. So eventually, eventually we got a training from Shaker Bar School in uh, in Paparazzi. And when I've seen where the London is, you know, back back then, I said, wow, this is great. Uh, but I think next step is actually to go to London directly. Sure. But what was the scene like? What was the cocktail scene like back at home? Were people p- playing it safe? Um... Uh, you know what? I think, uh, firstly, it was still flair. So if you want to be, we talking about, uh, what I was 20, we talking about 16, 16 years ago, you know, uh, so uh, if you want to be a bartender, you need to flare. So uh, we as a bartender used to go in a park and uh, throw the bottles and everything. And the cocktails mainly, what, strawberry, strawberry daiki, caipirinha mojitos, <clears throat> these kind of cocktails, you know, so a lot of blenders, you know, uh, strawberry daiquiris, you blending, a lot of caipirinhas, a lot of mojitos, uh, gimlets, these cocktails which were uh, fruity, I would say, fruity, sweet and sour. Mm. I love a blended daiquiri. Absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's good, but when you do every day two two hundred of them, uh, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I bet it could be really tiring. So, so what what was it like? Um, uh, I suppose from a culturally coming coming into the London scene. Um, I mean, we obviously understand that the the world of cocktails, the world of drinks, um, that the language for that is very similar, regardless of where you are in the world, but. For yourself coming into a new city with with these ideas and uh, uh, and these inspirations that you brought with you, what, what was that like settling in at first? <clears throat> well, firstly, uh, 
obviously the city is huge, you know, so uh, it, it was more cultural mm-hmm. shock than, uh, than bars. As you said, the bars are, of course, the similar language. But yeah. London, London was, especially 16, 17 years ago, you really had only London, New York, Sydney. That was kind of three cities in, in, the, in the world, you know. It's not yeah. like now. Uh, also, thanks to social media, thanks to internet, you know, you you can go anywhere. There's gonna be nice cocktail bar. You can get a very decent product almost anywhere now, you know. Uh, and not to mention Europe, uh, you can go Barcelona, Amsterdam, you, you you name it, Oslo, wherever you go, you find uh, amazing cocktails, you know. But that that time, 15, 16 years ago, uh, it would be London for Europe, it would be New York for U- United States, you know. So definitely it was it was a benchmark to come here and it was benchmark to firstly cultural shock in in a way not just as a being in a different country but actually to work with different people that was amazing because you know as as London is metropolitan city you're working with people behind the bar which is one one person is Italian another German third one is Spanish fourth one is French and this mm-hmm. is amazing because all these people obviously bringing a little bit of their culture the way they work, the way they live, and the way, way they're making the drinks, you know, so the flavors as well. And that was the huge experience that you were actually working with these people and they teach you about, you know, like all these Italian products, yeah. like grappa, lemoncello, the French guy will give you pasties and absinthe and all these things. So that that was uh, that was actually the valuable lesson to get the London experience the way it mm. is. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that's uh, uh, exactly the same now, isn't it? I mean, London yes. is so diverse and uh, mm-hmm. so many cultures kind of it mashed. Is. It is, but we also find it in different cities. To be fair, you know? so uh, I don't know. We go to Amsterdam, Berlin. You you find it maybe in a smaller scale, but I think uh, people start traveling and uh, experiencing other cities a little bit as well. Uh, so yes, definitely the young generation got more options than what we had. Big in the day, mm. you know? mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of the younger generation at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the access they have to information is absolutely mm. incredible right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did you um, did you have a bar in mind when you moved over? I mean, how did you decide where you first landed, or did, was that just because you needed some work? Uh, when I landed, I started with a language a language school straight away, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, I I already had a school um, um, on my arrival, and uh, my good friend Eric uh, Eric Lawrence, uh, he was here already one or two years, and he Shout used out. to work. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, well, he's from Slovakia. We used to work uh, literally next to each other back in Bratislava. <laughs> so he's been here before me, and uh, he was working this nightclub called Attica. So as uh, soon as I landed, literally two, three days later, I started working uh, there as well because they, you know, they look, uh, they needed someone and, uh, yeah, he, he recommended me. So literally two, three days later, I started there as a barback and it was for the next few months. Then I became a bartender there and then slowly I started moving to, towards the cocktail, cocktail bars. Whilst uh, preparing for this interview, kind of a pool, kind of your highlights and it's, you kind of go through each stage and the people, not only the venues you've worked in, but the people you've encountered along the way, it's kind of like you couldn't wish for a better experience. Um, so after Attica, you went to Townhouse? Well, Townhouse is, which was the same company uh, like Lab. 
which was super famous back in the day. So obviously the the the, the birthplace of porn star Martin is so yes, yes, yes. Um then it was uh, Montgomery Place with um, with Ago Perone. So that was that was for me amazing bar. That's that's what I think uh, yeah that that was my uh, very close to my heart I would say you know I stayed there for three years because I really enjoyed the ambience and the style of the bar and everything. Then it was uh, Artesian Bar, so I was working there with Alex in uh, Langa Motel, which was great to get some five-star experience. Then it was Pearl, which was uh, which are the guys now from a uh, reselling shop. Uh, that was Motovart's Molecular, you know, and Modern Mixology, which is also... It, it was all, all different experiences, you know, and uh, I think when you're young, even if you like it or even if it's your style or not your style, you know, like you see the molecular thing is not really my style, mm. but, but it's very important in your career. You know, you should not stuck, I think, uh, in, in, in one place for, especially when you're young, you know, it's, it's good to, of course. to try different places. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then after Pearl, uh, I met the guys, uh, from Niger and that's actually was our opening from the, from the scratch. And I stayed there for five years. Yeah. yeah. Now that is an incredible list of bars. Let's be honest, man. <laughs> um, I think every single one of those, at one point in its lifetime, has probably been in the top fifty list in the world. I think every mm. every single one of those. But but I'm curious, man. For for those bartenders um, that that are listening, or, or anyone that's listening that that is looking to to work in just one of those bars, mm. um, I, I'm curious as to how you managed to almost land in in those uh particular bars around those particular people mm. at that time was it was it a lot of recommendations did you start building a reputation for yourself quite quickly or was it a case of just knowing the right people at the right time mm. you know why I, I i might not have a direct answer for it because i i, I guess uh What's sometimes that? it's just a luck sometimes uh yeah i think just you're building the reputation and i don't mean that i was uh a famous bartender or celebrity mm-hmm. bartenders because you know what few mm-hmm. years ago it did not even exist you know now now you can see thanks to thanks to maybe a, a competition like the edge of world class yeah. so they they highlight the bartenders then they put it on something like okay there are people who win and they become something more special but seven eight ten years ago did this thing did not exist you know when you were looking for the job eventually Eventually, the new bar manager would call the old bar manager. It was as, <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as simple as that, you know. There would not be something like, "Oh, you know what? I'm a, I'm I'm the winner of the second challenge in the world class, so I'm the best." You know, there is no such a thing for that all, you know. And uh, yeah, if you if you're looking for someone good, you would pick up the phone, and uh, because the industry actually, even the London seems a big city, industry is still no people in industry know each other, you know. So if I know mm. from Montgomery, you're going to Absolutely. London. The, the bar manager would know each other. They would pick up the phone, listen up with this guy, and they would say, listen, great or not great, you know? And as simple as that, on that verbal recommendation, you would very possibly get a job or or at least the chance to do the trial, you know? Uh, so it was dead, you know? It was not, nothing really. And then uh, Nigra, I, uh, I uh, cooperated with the Shaker Bar School, you know? Sometimes I was helping them with the, um, with the courses. And yep. the Shaker... Shaker was hired for the Niger from the beginning, actually, to help them. Wow. So, uh, so that was, you know, sometimes, yeah, of course, after a few years, uh, within industry, you get some names and connections. And uh, if someone is looking, they 
they might drop your name. So definitely you need to stay in our industry as well. And mm-hmm. uh, things not going to happen in one day. So you see, I, I, I've been in London for 15, 16 years now, you know, so, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I see people, they come here and they in six months, they expect to be the bar manager in the best place in London. And, uh, you know, you, you cannot cheat the time, you know, the time is dead to actually, you build your career, you build your reputation. And I think to get in a great place and to do what you want to do, you still need two to three years, even now, you know? Minimum. Oh, a- absolutely. No, that's some, that's some great advice, man. Definitely. I mean, the, the list of people that you worked alongside, I mean, shout outs to obviously Alex, Eric, Ego. I mean, and then you obviously talk about uh, Montgomery Place with an incredible bar as well. Um, who Who was probably the most, for you, influential person that you worked alongside or... Uh, the person that you maybe uh, took the most off of in respect to style or the way your work ethic or you know I think it would be Ago to be to, uh, to be honest uh, because that was also, also the combination of your age you know there is turning po- turning point in your in your career where you still soaking you know you soaking as a sponge and then there is a turning point when you start developing your own style. But that period when I, when, I, when I actually was absorbing, that was Montgomery Place and me working with Ago because it was not just a style of the world, but the style of running a bar, you know. And uh, Ago with his Italian hospitality was great, you know. I, I, I learned a lot and I think many, many things I'm still practicing and using until now, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a mentorship, I would call it that way. It's not, not even more like, oh, you're going you're gonna to copy a style of somebody you work with uh, but it's more a mentorship that you learn, okay, this is how to react in a situation, this is how to create your customers, your regulars, and so on and so on. And then, so mentorship and education, is there something that I see you, you've travelled around the world a lot, you've done a lot of uh, masterclasses and workshops, is that something that you've developed, have you developed your own style, is it something you feel is very important? I think it's very important, yes, if you ask me, uh, with that to be said, is not for everyone, for sure. And also, we change a bit over the years, you know. So you got a lot of commercial stuff to be fair, to be fair, you know, because obviously now there are different money involved and the big brands involved. So the traveling is very important for me. It was life changing, uh, not just because you doing a seminar somewhere, whatever, if it's China, Australia, but actually similar like you changing the bars and you know, you working in different places in London. Also, when you're going to go one day in Indonesia, next day in Vietnam, uh, you know, I mean, uh, every time, every trip I did, I tried to stay maybe one day more, visit the local bars, visit the local cuisine and visit the local market. And this was huge for me, you know, because you learn, you learn the different cuisine, different culture, you see the different bars, how they operate. And uh, yes, thanks to, thanks to the seminars, thanks to this guest bartending, I, I travel the world maybe maybe few times now you know so uh to see this to experience this is something that you know uh, um, if, if it's not for work i'm not sure i would go to these places in my lifetime to be honest you know some yes, of, of these places yeah mm-hmm. and japan has been a big influence as well on you as well I, I see you've done a lot about talking about the japanese shake and um and some of the videos and i've we've spoken to other bartenders who as well, have really been touched by the hospitality scene over in Japan. Yes, of course. Japan is massive, it's huge. It's, uh, 
well, Japan as a country knows as a bartender. That's something to understood for, uh, in, in first place. Japan is different. It's really a different world in on this planet. You know, it's it's uh, even if you go to Asia, a- a- Asia is already different. But it's still you can feel you you find a way how to live in uh, China, Malaysia, Malaysia, Singapore. You know, it's there is mix of Western world. But when you go to Japan, everything is different. You know, yeah. everything is different, and the way the approach. Uh, the Japanese go to anything. It's not just a bartending. They're making tea. They're making flowers. If they're building the road, uh, it's it's something uh, something that it's never seen or heard of in a Western culture. So to go there to experience it and uh, see it in a bar, uh, it's it is a life changing for sure. For you as a bartender, it is life changing. Even if you work there, even if you do free apprentice, or you you just go as a guest in few places. You will experience something that uh, that's I would definitely recommend to every bartender, every bartender to go there and to spend few days. We heard a lot about Japan, didn't we, uh, Damien, when we mm. spoke to James Barker? Shout out James Barker, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Santori brand ambassador. He had, okay. And he had nothing but great things to say about that part mm. of the world as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you've obviously travelled. Uh, an incredible amount, as you said, um, mm-hmm. and been a blessed human being. So, is Japan for you the the standout place for you that you've been to around the world? Uh, J- Japan is amazing, you know, uh, but every place has something. You know? So, I, uh, you, you know, it's very difficult to compare. You you, you cannot just compare Japan with the with the Caribbean, you know, and then uh, Lat- Latin America, you know. I mean. Uh, they all got something completely different and they all got something uh, unique. But Japan, when it comes, if you're asking me as a, <clears throat> as a bartender, especially 10, 15 years ago, uh, we're talking about us maybe still flaring, you know, 15 years ago and uh, not, not focusing on uh, ice or temperature, you know, the cocktail was, I remember even in London 15 years ago, maybe the fresh lime or lemon juice was already something special. When I came to Japan, you know, I was doing some uh, short, short uh, seminars in there with Japanese bartenders, and they would be measuring the temperature of ice. You know, I'm talking about 15, 16 years ago, and I was like, "What the hell are you doing?" And they, they had a chart written. They were showing me, "Look, this is shaken martini," and uh, they had it from plus seven to minus thirteen degrees to show me when and which vodka or gin shaken taste better you know and i was like bloody hell this is not that not that we're not doing this is something i would never even dream of they actually i will be measuring the temperature to see which one tastes better and that's the approach that actually definitely changed my uh, my, my way of thinking because i was like wow actually you see this is uh, you know the, uh, sh- shaping the ice ball why is it rounded because it doesn't have edges the edges will melt first you know so the way the way they think is just absolutely incredible and it was very important to bring it back and start thinking uh, this way you know absolutely i'm really glad that you kind of uh, touched on that because that was that's leading to my next question but yeah i i remember when uh, fresh lime and lemon uh, was like sliced bread for the industry even having cranberry juice on a on a bar was uh, very special mm-hmm. uh, shout out to the woo woo cocktail right there um but one of one of the things for me, and I think from, probably for most of the industry, was I think we all got to know who you are or were when when you went to Nightjar, and I think it was your your style that really 
kind of set you apart from everybody else not just the way in which you physically make the drink because obviously you have your own individual personality and style behind the bar but more so was with the way you presented the drinks and 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 how you were looking to create flavors but how you were looking to create the vessel um for, for those particular drinks where did that come from was that was that the influences of all your travels was that like you say was that being japan or was that something that you already had in the back of your mind that creativity but you just didn't really have an outlet for it and i guess the the world of drinks allowed you to do that i'm i'm just curious as to how you kind of envisaged some of those serves and those drinks that you came up with it was the combination of all the things you just said plus uh, the timing you know because i as i said first few years you are obviously a sponge and you're learning from all these experiences so you say I did a townhouse, Montgomery Place, Langham. So you're learning, you're learning five-star service, you're learning molecular service, you know? And then it becomes the stage where I'm not, I don't want to say you learn, but maybe you create, you, you're on the stage of actually having your own style, you know? As you see with many bartenders, when they get 28, 29, you know, you get six, seven years of experience. And uh, it was the combination of actually being on that stage in my life, plus meeting uh, Edmund and Rosie, uh, which support me, you know, it's, uh, it's it, uh, the, they were the bar owners, which actually did gave me, and uh, that was probably one of the first bar, they gave me really a full support and the freedom. And uh, that's very important because for many bartenders, you know, I see this creativity. I'm doing, I'm doing seminars and courses in Gibson in London, and I see many bartenders, they come for the seminar and they do have the old style, but they not able to execute it because, you know, maybe you work for the bigger corp- uh, corporation or you work in a big hotel that cannot change. You know, the hotels simple cannot change every day, like in a small speakeasy bars, you know, because you, you must have a standard. So uh, I, I think it was a combination of these two things. And then the guys from Niger, actually, they gave us the freedom and we started working with a team and slowly, yeah, uh, apply to everything literally from the garnishes to vessels to homemade products you know it was it was really like a playground almost like you put you 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 let the student in a laboratory but you say okay now you finish your study so start playing in a, in a real world you know something like that i won't i won't lie i mean when we uh when i first started we used to try and do creative stuff and uh quirky serves and and, and people would I guess some people would just laugh it off, but then when Nightjar came around and you started doing what you did, people take, took it a little bit more seriously that you could have a high-end bar and you could put a serve in a stiletto and it'd be okay. Um, but you kind of you kind of ruined it for some of us because any anybody else <laughs> after that that tried to do a quirky serve, people would just say you're trying to now just copy Nightjar or you're copying Marion. <laughs> so so it was really it was actually really difficult to kind of pull it back a little bit. But um, I loved, uh, yeah, I loved the stuff that you guys did, the card, the playing cards with the images on them. It's, I guess mm. that's probably one of the most iconic yeah. things from, from Nightjar. Um, uh, and and uh, people would wait for the next release. I mean, I know you had a bit of a following and even you must have been aware of that. Did that, did that add pressure to always have to come up with? Because when that first set came out, it was such an explosion in respect to the way it was received. 
what what was that like having to then maintain uh, that creativity and and because you 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 really still second you know what I think uh, we were working on these things every single day you know it's it's not something that you that you ignore it for for one year and then uh, two weeks before the new menu you said oh wow guys now we should do something you know so uh, it's it and it's even physically impossible and uh, that's what we actually do even in much smaller bar like Gibson. It actually worked exactly the same way, you know. You you're working on the garnishes, you're working on the new ingredients, and you continuously work on a new menu uh, the whole year, you know. So so by the time it comes, you automatically somehow without the pressure, if if, if that makes sense, without the pressure, you do have the new menu because it took you all year, the whole year of traveling, as I said as well, you know, we we were doing the guest bartending, we were doing seminars, you know, almost on a weekly basis, sometimes two different countries a, a week, you know, so uh, you see, you get the new things. When you when you look around, you always find something, you know, one day you're in Russia, next day you're somewhere else, you know, you go on the market, you find something amazing, you never try, and you said, wow, this will be in a menu, you know, and then you, you find a new glass, new garnish, and through the year, by the end of the year, we would always have enough material to actually pull it off, if that makes sense, you know. So it, 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 it came naturally, if, if if I can say that way. Yeah. No, I mean, um, we'll, we'll get onto the garnishes and everything else, but um, you brought up the the vessels and the Gibson, and even at Night Giant, it was so iconic. The the glassware, the barware, they're so different, so eye catching. You know, it really heightens the whole experience uh, of the drink. We've got bespoke, yes, uh, maybe. Now I'm talking about Gibson because I've been there for five years, so not sure, not sure how is it now in Niger. Uh, so maybe 30 to 40 percent is bespoke. Obviously, bespoke uh, it's it's great, and I could do 100 percent of the menu right away. But with a bespoke, don't forget the one thing is uh, tricky, and that's cost. You know, so uh, of course, if, yeah, if you work in a five star hotel and somebody tells you that's 100k for the new menu, pay by big brands well then you can do the whole menu bespoke straight away but in a small bar and the night job was also a business that's why that's why i respect it because edmund and rosie was they were they, they ran it as a single business it was not uh a successful business i have to say it was not some uh, fake you know fake award built bar where you would say oh we do this even though we're losing money even though it's not worth it even though it's not uh people don't want it but we're gonna do it because uh because actually it's cool on the social media or some of that. This bar was built on a success of uh, of people, you know. And uh, you can see it now, after 10 years, there is still queue outside and people drinking cocktails, probably 98% of the sales, you know. So that's the success of the bar to me. And I would always look on this more than anything else, any award, any other social media popularity or anything else, you know. And with that in mind, if you think, especially Niger guys, they could have three or four bars, but back in the days it was one bar, so the budget was still there. And you cannot, you cannot just say, oh, I want this one customized glass, which production will be two and a half thousand pounds, and uh, well, how many cocktails do you have on the menu? 52. Wow, so what do we need? 140k to change the glasses, you know. But that's impossible, you know, so every wow. year we could do one to two customized glasses max. That would be a budget, and every year you could do one to two, you know. In a Gibson, I can do three to four because our capacity is smaller. So when I'm do customizing something, you know, I don't need 500 or 100 pieces, but maybe 50, you know. So 
we can do three to four in a Gibson and over the five years now maybe I got 20 glasses you know yeah and um, I was really disappointed at the start of the year I had a surgery but you did a charity uh, auction ah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> of all your glasses <laughs> well not all of them how did that go it went very well but definitely not all of them because I can tell you we probably sold two boxes I got everything in the boxes in our storage one box is 160 yeah. liters capacity and we sold two boxes which is two, 320 liters uh, and that was the whole Gibson covered with the glasses but imagine in our storage we've got now 60 boxes like this so uh, yeah there is okay. there is uh, 9,000 liters of capacity wow. of uh, volume that only accumulated over five years of running this tiny bar because every year we change everything and every year we experiment with the new things and some things you mm. use some things you don't use you know so, uh, yeah, yeah that, this, this probably go back to your question that how, how the Niger get prepared. Well, you get prepared by actually investing also the money, energy and time looking for new mm. glass, looking for new garnish and uh, ingredients. And many of them uh, are just wasted, you know, so we're throwing, 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 throwing away the things. Sure. So have you, have you found the transition from, you know, the enjoyment of making the drinks to actually having to run the business? You know, it is a different mindset and it is a it's a huge responsibility especially as a bar owner how have you found that mm, as you said yes it's uh well firstly i still working behind the bar as a full-time bartender you know so I, I i never really want to drop this off uh and that that's why the choice of smaller bars so i can actually run it and work in the same time because that's that's my passion and that's my pleasure to be honest you know i, I don't see myself just to be sitting in the office and running even if it's five or ten bars if I if if I'm to just run it by computer or something like that, I'd probably change the business. You know, this this would not have a value for me if I cannot cannot work in a real bar. <clears throat> but definitely, the question between bartenders and bar owners it's uh, it's a huge step up. And uh, well, m maybe I said incorrect, but not step up. It's it's a completely different job, you know. And Let's put it this way, if the bartenders think the good bartender will be a good bar owner, it's not the case at all, because it's real. It's, uh, yes, and, uh, and now I understand why many of us actually fail, uh, because to be a bartender, is a, it's, it's almost a different profession, and to running a bar or be a businessman, it's a different profession, as simple Absolutely. as that. So if you naively been thinking, as I was thinking that, oh, I know how to make good drinks, therefore I'm going to have a good bar. Uh, forget it, you know, we're talking about licensing and all these kind of things where you can lose so much money that you bankrupt within, uh, within even opening the doors, you know, if you, if you don't know what to do and how to do it. Completely agree, man. Been there myself. And uh, one of the analogies or one of the examples that I always use whenever anybody asks me about it is football. Um, just, just because you're a good footballer doesn't mean you're going to be a good football manager. Um, and it, it, they, they are two very different things. Um, what was the biggest um, thing that you learned um, during the transition from being the bartender working full-time behind the bar to then being the bartender working full-time behind the bar to then obviously having to be responsible for a business, for people, for, for their careers, aspirations, all of it? What, what was the biggest thing you learned, took away from it or learned for yourself? It's firstly the responsibility that you need to realize, you know, more than anything, because as a bartender, that freedom you have, psychological freedom you have, it's something that you really lose. You really lose as a bar owner because like in my case, and I'm, I'm sure in many other cases, uh, other people's cases, you, you invest your livelihood, you know, you invest your uh, life savings. You, 
maybe you maybe you take the loan or mortgage or whatever you do you know so you you investing and you risking something that as a bartender it's it's uncomparable because if you don't like the the job you're working right now what you gonna do i'm gonna send one email notice what was the notice two weeks or four weeks or three weeks or whatever it is thank you for having me but this is not my style. That's where it's finished. That's it. That's it. You know, if you're opening a small bar or average bar in London, we're talking about three hundred to five hundred thousand pounds. If you're opening big bar, you know, or restaurant, we're talking about few millions. Now, if you're really owners or you are director, co-director, partner, you know, this money might be your life saving for your family. You know, this might be something that you would have a have a house or you know, like such a mistake, you can bankrupt and lose everything. So. That freedom and that pressure you're gonna have in your mind, it's uncomparable because every day you, you know, from the day one, I had to think like, I cannot fail because you simply cannot fail. You know, if you fail, that's mean you lost everything. You might be in a debt, you know, yep. <laughs> and that's, that's as a bartender that you never got. You're, you're only, only worry. And don't get me wrong now, I don't wanna say the bartender is less and or lower job. But your worry is, is this drink nice or if it's not? If it's not, well, let's taste it. And I change it, you know, don't get me wrong. But that's that's your pressure. And uh, as I said, if you don't like the job or if you don't like the bar manager or if you don't like the owner, you literally with a smile, you say thank you, you shake the hands. You cannot do this if you are the bar owner. And if you are the bar owner, you, you have, if you are the owner, you're having the pressure of your neighbors, of your staff, because they're looking at you like a, like you are the obviously you are the guy who who hiring them. You are the guy who want to have a bar. So uh, no nobody is uh, nobody, not even the friends, uh, standing by by your side because they tell you you chose to have a bar, and everyone probably told you it's gonna be a difficult. And yes, it is extremely difficult. So if you chose it, then uh, you kind of you know you cannot drag other people in this kind of headache, you know, and uh, expecting the support. If you get it, well good for you but you cannot expect it so you find yourself on the bottom uh very often maybe 10 times a day let's be honest you know <laughs> for, for a few months so now i guess with what's been happening recently with covid it's forced you into a position that you well nobody would have foreseen how, how have you coped with that and the pressure of knowing that you've had to close you have staff and not knowing when you can go back Mm, well, I, I would say for uh, for us it's maybe a little bit easy because uh, we are very small bar and you see the people, um, uh, my staff is on furlough, so it's not that bad. So the only thing right now as an employee, you're paying the rent, which for us it's quite small and I negotiate the discount 50%. So it's not that bad for us, for, for us as a small bar. You know, the bar literally cost me a couple thousand pounds and we start doing the bundles and pre-made cocktails. So we actually make three to four thousand pounds even from just selling a pre-made drink. So so to be fair, being close with such a small bar and having all stuff on furlough, I it it we either don't make anything or we even making little money a month rather than losing. Uh, but I can see the big companies if you're somewhere in Mayfair in London or in Soho and your rent is twenty K, fifteen K, twenty-five K there is no support from the government for the rents. And I can see if somebody tells you you're going to be closed for six months and your rent is 25K, but that's 150K just there. You know, it's no jokes whatsoever. So going back to the team, so it's a small team. I, I, I've been a few times to drink. I've met Martina, who I believe is from the same hometown as you. Uh, yes, correct. Yes. 
Yeah, so um, is, is, did, you, did you know her from back home or was it just a coincidence? Was coincidence uh, because she came to London uh, maybe eight years ago. I was here already 16 years ago. Uh, and uh, yes, but we used to work uh, in uh, Niger already. Then I left. She'd been there for maybe one more or two more years after me and then uh, maybe two more years. And then she joined us in Gibson, yes. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. I think I read somewhere, I mean, we know garnishes are a huge part of the menu. And I think mm-hmm. I read somewhere you had two people just employed. Firstly, we've got, we've got a prep guy every day. So it's, it's, it's not specifically hired to do garnishes. It's a prep guy that, that our bar needs. So one of us, one of our team member is rotating. And every day we got prep for, yes, eight, eight, nine hours. So full shift is a prep. But it's to prep all bar. I would not say there are two people doing just a garnish. So we, uh, you know, it's a whole prep because many things are homemade. So it can be anything: jam, marmalade, uh, dehydrated stuff, centrifuge stuff. So uh, actually, yes, because Gibson is old pub, and like every pub used to have a big basement, you know. So the big basement, we, uh, which was disadvantage in Niger because Niger was already in the basement, so there was no another room or space underneath, you know. So we have to start very early in Niger and finish when the bar is opening because, you know, the bar would be occupied. But in the Gibson, is advantage that actually the person can go below the bar and uh, we have full kitchen uh, slash kind of little laboratory below the Gibson. So while you're drinking cocktail upstairs, there's one person downstairs and uh, continue until midnight uh, preparing the stuff, which is good because if, I, if you run out, something specific uh, through the night. Imagine you just open a hatch and you say, this cocktail is now popular. It's homemade ingredients. We just finish it, uh, prepare it. And that person literally refill you with some very fresh ingredients right on the spot. Mm. That's incredible, man. To be able to have the opportunity to have that is amazing. I know there's a lot of bars out there that don't really get the opportunity to to employ somebody to do that. But I I can see why you do it. There's probably the reason you're able to maintain uh, the, and execute the, the consistency that you have in, in the bars that, that you kind of work in and, and obviously own now. Um, but for anyone, I guess my, my question is that for anyone looking or listening to this podcast that is looking to open their own uh, venue or making that transition or even as a bartender trying to add a little bit more consistency and creativity to, to their repertoire, what, as somebody that is incredibly well known for those things, what would be some of the advices that you might give them? Well, you mentioned two two main uh, questions: the one to open a bar, another one is to to uh, change the menu. You know, so uh, that's two two different worlds. To be honest, you know, to open a bar at this economic climate, I would I would say, okay, for, forget your bartender's background and focus on the business because you really be talking about coronavirus combined with a Brexit right now. Uh, and and London London is very expensive city as it is. Competition is huge, you know, a lot of co- lot of great cocktail bars. So you would need to be you would need to really talk a business here to see what's your budget, are you able to carry this bar? Maybe maybe now the start will be slow, not for one year, but maybe for three years. So do you have the money and budget to you know, I mean <laughs> to support this place for two to three years? And that's that's it's just uh, money talks, nothing else. You know, if some bartenders say, yeah, I can open it and I can survive one month, I would say don't even try because even if you're going to make the best cocktails, by the time people find you in an ocean of the bars and information and social media, you know, 
even if you're the best in the world, by the time people find you, you know, by the time actually you need to, you know, you need to pay the PR these days, you need to pay the social media guy, you need to have a photographer then slash videos as well, which five, seven, ten years ago we didn't need. But now I, I'm a, I got full, full-time employed five people, but I got four people working part-time, which are, you know, so almost a double of team. And that's four people that normally I would not need, but right now I need them. In, also, in, in order to run social media and stuff like that, you know, and the bars need it because there is so many information for the consumers that if you don't put your information out, people don't see you. They, uh, you know, they, they literally miss your bar. So, <clears throat> so that's something you as a bar owner, you need to think it's a budget, location, what will be the concept and how to make the money back. That's the bar ownership. That's something really to talk the business, check the license, check the opening hours and see the concept, how many people you need to employ, how much the employee is going to cost you, and what will be the product. When it comes to bartender, of course, it's just to pumping the menu, which is a little bit, <clears throat> little bit different. Uh, and I think in London, there is a lot of inspiration, especially now. Like 10 years ago, it was Niger. And uh, yeah, I can see there was, there was literally Niger doing what is it doing now. But now you can see every bar has its own style, you know? And I think the main difference the main difference actually thanks to social media because 10 years ago when the Niger was opening was the Facebook kind of getting there, but still still was nothing to compare what you see now, live videos, Zooms, Zoom chats and everything. So uh, the information and the inspiration uh, are shared from the entire world, literally instant, you know. If they do something cool now in China, you will see it in a, in a 20 minutes somewhere because somebody reshared it. And you got that inspiration if you want, okay? 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it wasn't like that. You were really going in a market physically, trying to fruit, uh, vegetables, everything, reading it, you know? So uh, I would just say, if you want, if you're not lazy, and I don't want to sound like a clever guy, but if you really want, if you want, you you change your menu. There's not really a patent, you know? As, as I said, look, look in your ingredients, Google whatever you want to Google, like, Really, you can Google whatever you want, and there will be inspiration. They will, you will find some product, produce whatever you're looking for. You know, mm, it's it's definitely easier than what it used to be ten to fifteen years ago. Yeah, talking of social media, I was uh, I was looking at your feed, and I was seeing so many posts, and then I realized you're posting something every day, and it's information. It's so many new cocktails on there um so no so you talking how important that has been to you kind of makes sense with what i've seen um and you're also talking about these bundles you were selling so they've been generating some income but actually you've been doing it to give back as well to the nhs yes 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 we uh, be giving uh, be contributing to nhs yes charities we started uh we started over over, uh, we started uh, two weeks, I think, after the lockdown. So the first two weeks, everyone was really at home and tried to figure it out what it's going to be. And then we started, and to be fair, uh, uh, we started uh, with the bundles, spirit bundles, because actually I didn't know how the pre-made cocktails, you know, like now we're slowly converting towards our signature cocktails pre-made because I think it communicates better than just give you a bottle of booze in a bundle, especially for us as a bar, you know, like if I give you... Even if it's nice gin or nice rum, you know, probably you can buy the same thing anywhere in the world or definitely anywhere in the UK. So sooner or later, these bundles would not become, uh, they, they would lose, they would lose some originality. So now be changing for the pre-made cocktails. 
but two weeks after the lockdown, you know, no, people did not have information, you know, uh, even uh, health and safety or all this kind of, you know, we, we, we didn't know how how does it work. That's why that's why we start with the bundles. And also, to be fair, I had a lot of stock in in a bar, which I just was worried, like, wow, the bar might be now closed for weeks or months, and I got stock maybe for ten to fifteen thousand. So you know what? If something happened, if somebody gonna rob the bar, I'm gonna lose this money. So and another thing was actually just to get rid of the stock, you know, to rotate the stock. Uh, that's why that's why we start with the bundles, and uh, they're doing very well. We we sold now over three hundred. Uh, so every week goes. 20, 30, some weeks goes 50, you know, Negroni, Margarita, Old Fashioned, these are the most popular by, by far. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are people out there, obviously there are venues out there that are looking to uh, generate mm. money as much as they can during this time, during lockdown and quarantine, and, and it's got to be stressful and difficult for everybody. But for you to not only try and generate um, some money for your business, but then to flip that and give some back and give, try and mm. give back where you can, that's that's an incredible position to be in especially being such a small independent um venue that you are uh like you say you're not you're not one of the biggest bars in the world but i suppose mm-hmm. in that sense you all almost are at the same time just because of what you're trying to do what you're trying to achieve and how you go about it i think i have to mention one very important thing these bundles you know because we're selling them for 50 pounds literally everything that is there uh, glass signature glass garnish is there it would never work and we would never be able to make money with it and contribute to NHS if it's not thanks to uh, all the brands. So every brand that you see actually that we use it, it's a, it's a, it's a sponsor. So we, it was not just me going in a cellar or buying, buying it from the suppliers because, you know, when we put the Negroni that three bottles of booze, the three bottles of booze would cost hundred pounds. You know, we're selling the entire bundle with the delivery for 50. So it only works thanks to actually our, other brands that supporting us, you know, everything that we get was sponsored with the brands. And thanks to that, we can actually sell it, make money and uh, contribute to NHS. That's incredible, man. That's, that's mm-hmm. really cool, man. Um, I don't think brands mm-hmm. would want to work with you if they didn't, uh, obviously trust you to, to do what you do and recognize you to be one of the best. I mean, uh, and going on that, uh, I know that obviously, uh, <laughs> you were awarded with uh, uh, being in the list as part of the best 50 bars in the world. Um, mm. What was that like? Uh, well, what is it like? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's something people ask me since, since the Niger, and I'm not sure I can, uh, I'm, 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 I'm the right one to answer it because I never really look on, on these awards, you know, and I don't want to sound unthankful. I think okay. every, every, every year it's great if you get it. But, uh, you know, for me, it's very important to actually go in a bar and see the bar full with the people that they having a great time every single night, you know. And, uh, yeah, if, if you get award by end of the year from someone you, honestly, I don't even know from who, you know. I mean, um, I don't know who is judging you or how they're judging you. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely great. But if you ask me how does it feel like, I don't really know, you know. I, for, for me, I'm a, may, maybe I'm old school guy, which is uh, which has a different kind of uh, view. And uh, yeah, if I see, let me put it this way: if I see the empty bar or people complaining in a bar, and I've got a big plate on my on my bar display, uh, I would be very stressed, you know, and very disappointed. If I see the full bar and uh, the bar is full of the guests and everyone who's leaving your bar and tell you amazing, the great cocktails. 
to me, it, that would mean much more than uh, having a, a three awards on, on, on your bar display. No? Uh, so that's, that, that's my priorities and I always look at the things. But maybe I'm old school because I'm, I'm, I'm from the generation where there were not existing bar awards 10, 15 years ago. You know, we, yep. we never yeah. worked for these things. Uh, and now I see the new bar. Sometimes I do consultancy and I go to the places, wherever it is, Dubai or somewhere, and they, uh, I ask them, okay, guys, so what we what we aiming? Who is the clientele? What is the target? Where do you want to be? And they tell me, uh, well, we need this as a flagship, which means we want to be in a world best, uh, bar by next year. And I said, how should I do that? I mean, I... And, and you would be surprised. This is not one place. This is many places I see now because people need it or the corporations need it. So they tell you our aim is not to be best bar as being a bar, but to be in world best 50. They literally tell you like that, you know, and I need to break them down. Okay, so you know what does it mean? That's mean probably there are some judges. They need to come to see you. So <laughs> it's, it's not about running a bar. It's about now, uh, you know, I mean, uh, finding these people, getting them in, maybe give them free drink or... Whatever, whatever it is in order to get in a world best 50 within one or two years, you know. And that's what changing the game for me a little bit. And I see it uh, in the past couple of years uh, happening with a uh, with few bars. So I'm, I'm, I'm losing a little bit credibility towards these awards, you know, not just world best 50, but any awards. Because if you see these awards start be, be seen by people like this and then the people pushing towards awards too much, I... Uh, I, I, I definitely lose at least a bit of passion towards it, you know. And uh, yeah, you get awards; it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong; it's it's a it's a cherry on the cake. But there is still cake, you know, that need to be baked <laughs> and 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 the dough to be made every single day, you know. And if there is no dough, if the cake is not delicious and fresh, uh, the ch- the cherry uh, doesn't save the cake. Let's put it that way. You know? Oh my God! I mean, thank you very much for your honesty, there, man. I really appreciate that. And you're absolutely right. I mean, well, when I started. 20 plus years ago the awards weren't something that we even spoke about knew about cared about it, it was really just about the the consumer base and and hosting the best party they've ever had like that's our only reason for existing on a friday and saturday night was just to host as many people as we can and have as much fun as we can really um but no you're, you're absolutely right my man like uh yeah i really respect the honesty there thank you for that damien what's next no, I was just going to say, I think it, this is a common theme we've seen um, with our last two to three guests that really customers come first. Um, and it's really making sure that, that the experience for them mm. is yeah. number one. hundred percent. Mm. So we do a few um, little features um, towards the end. So as I mentioned earlier, my background's in music. So I always like to ask guests about um, song choices. So a song choice when you're starting to open up, starting a shift, is there one in particular that you would like to put on that gets you in the mood? You know what? Well, you would be surprised, but actually, actually, I don't play the music when we start, you know, because oh. I want to focus this, uh, I mean, preparation, you know, actually no music because uh, you play the music nine, ten hours, you're in a, in a, in a bar. So uh, that's, that's the few, few hours that I want to have a peace in a mind. And uh, and also my background, you see, I've been in Niger for five years, but there was a live music every single day. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, 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 it's it's almost like if you work in a nightclub and you say, okay, what what is your party music? And you say, you know what, well, actually, that is because I have party every day because I see the DJ every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah sometimes I just want no music, so I might disappoint you here, but 
we don't play the music before we actually start there. Yeah, open but, the door. That's okay. I think we're, we're, we're building a Spotify playlist. I think there's, <laughs> I think there's actually a famous uh, avant-garde piece of music where it's just silence. So uh, <laughs> I, I think we can put that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> how about closing down? Is it the same idea? No, closing down is more something uh, upbeat, actually, something uh, in, in a mood, you know. So we, we, our playlist is a lot from uh, between 1960s, 1980s. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's my friend. He put it together. So uh, that's actually cool. It's it's mainly uh, English bands, and it's uh, well. You've been in Gibson, so you heard you heard the thing. Which uh, firstly, I was a bit scared because uh, obviously I thought this classic bars is more towards jazz and blues and swing. Uh, but then he put this list together and he said, you know what? Try this because most of the bars using jazz and blues and swing, and this bar is a bit small. So try something different. And we tried this uh, playlist, so it's it's all all in between 1960s, 70s, 80s English bands, and it's an uh, incredible Amazing. list. <laughs> it's incredible list, and people really like it, and it really shows uh, something. It's 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 funny to come in a, such a small classic bar, but actually get this music. And another place is uh, what is it? Satan Viscas in uh, Brick Lane, that Bental uh, Green. They're using uh, hip hop, you know, <clears throat> old school hip hop from 1980s, which is also amazing that you go in a cocktail bar and you're getting this old school hip hop. So, uh, yes, actually, good that you mentioned because I think uh, the music can be really a mood changer or mood enhancer, and it's extremely important in in a, in a bar. People love seeing somebody perform. Yes, yes. So yes. I know you've mm-hmm. got the piano guy. We do piano, and uh, they have to sing as well most of the time. Because uh, our stage is much smaller than uh, what it used to be in Nigeria. So Nigeria can have, I think, up to five to six people. But we could only fit piano. So now I'm looking for uh, pianists that sing in the same time. So actually, you get a singer and pianist in the same time. Yeah? Music is really important, man. And I love, I love that style. I love British bands. I'm a big fan. Uh, yeah. Do you have a particular band that uh, stands out for you, a British band? Is there one that really that you'd never heard before until the playlist and thought, actually, these guys are really cool? There is so many. They all. Uh, there is nothing commercial. Let's put it that way. And also, I would need to check out a list because I I'm listening to it but never really reading the names. But yeah, he uh, the, the, this friend of us. Uh, it's actually uh, he's British, you know, and uh, he was growing up in this kind of uh, this was his music. So he really picked all the all the bands and uh, and, and uh, players that are kind of uh, famous but infamous. If, if famous but uncommercial. Let's put it that way. You know. Mm-hmm. That's really cool, man. So uh, D- Damien tends to talk about the music, uh, and I oh, talk yeah. about the drinks. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I've got a cu- got a couple of questions for you about drinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is um, uh, in respect to yourself and, and original drinks. Mm-hmm. What's the most memorable drink you've ever created, and and what made it so memorable for you? You know, one of, of the very first classics. Uh, that been on the menu uh, that coming back again to Niger that was signature but was so unique that it stayed there for many many years mm-hmm. was probably this it, we called it 24 volt cobbler and that was kind of a cobbler wine cobbler with a Mozart chocolate liquor so chocolate and mm-hmm. wine and berries very good combination wow but we use this electric flower you know back in the days that now actually translated because 
I find this electric flower back when I was in Montgomery Place uh, 15 years ago. Uh, but that was one of the first cocktails that we actually commercially introduced. And for people, that sensation of electricity was was unique because it's something that you, you, you know, it's one thing is sweet, sour, bitter, spicy, but electrifying was definitely different and it stays on the menu for a long time. And that electrifying sensation becomes so unique to us that we actually start commercially making these uh, electric bitters and uh, liquor, yes. Yeah, I think I've seen those. That's in the uh, the light bulb shaped bottle, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I love the labeling on that as well. Uh, thank it you. Thank you. It's incredible, man. Yeah, it's really good work there. Um, so the other, the other question regarding drinks or round drinks is your personal speed rail. If you could pick mm-hmm. five products for your own personal speed rail, what would those five products be? <laughs> you know what? Uh, firstly, we, we stopped with the speed rail uh, when we opened the Gibson because all my display become a speed rail. Ah, <laughs> okay. Yes, so our speed rail, I'll, I'll tell you straight away right now, our speed rail <laughs> is what make it faster uh, to make the drinks specifically on our menu. So there is not a one single brand, there is no tequila, vodka, gin, because now all the brands, you know, we, we, we really work with every single brand on display. I know the brand ambassador, we work with it. So there is not a one single brand out of 100 brands that we don't work directly. Every single brand, wow. I know people and it's very important for us because i want to have this relationship in order that also those people know that you stocking their brand they come to your bar and this part of relationship become uh, very important you know so we stocking 100 brands and uh, that's actually i'm working with 54 different uh, importers or however you call it brands brand ambassadors and they all part of the gibson family eventually you know so that's that become uh, that become our um, our speed rail and the speed rail is only things like cordial sugar syrup you know uh, maybe mix mix of uh, berry liquors these kind of things that you're using to finish the cocktails and uh, you don't need a, you, you don't need them behind you or next to you or something like that so that's what's in the speed rail I really like that that's really yeah. cool. Uh, I've, I've not not come across that one yet. That's I really like that. So, <laughs> okay. so, uh, <laughs> so what's next now, Damien? What we got on the list? No, well, actually, I was just just leading on from that. I was wanted to talk about then the Copperhead Gin um, that you were involved with. Was that just purely out of the relationship that you had with them as a supplier, and then just built a friendship, and then decided to do your own signature yes it started like this uh, well obviously we called gibson because of gibson martin which is the savory style of martin with pickled onion and uh, for, for, from day one we were looking for perfect gin that will uphold the savory flavors you know and uh, and uh, we were looking for this gin and of course uh, copperhead was one of the other listing uh, genes as we had it and somehow every every year when i'm meeting you see that's that's why it's important to have this personal relationship with the brands because every year when I meet them and we changing the menu, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sharing some ideas with them to see maybe signature glass, maybe some different project, maybe some vessels, maybe some equipment. Uh, so, so I just share these ideas and out of 50 people, you know, you never know five, seven, 10, 15 of them might agree. They might have special budget that might have, uh, they might be willing to do something with you. So that's very important to actually, write this project down and end of the year when you meet anyone from big brands like Diageo, Pernod Ricard to small brands, 
and to propose them this project, these uh, glasses, these, uh, I don't know, seminars, whatever it is, photo shoots. And uh, they, they will like some of them and they will support you in some of them. So that's very important to actually ask. You have to ask, you know, you need to get idea and you have to ask uh, and to see who, who want to support you in what. And uh, Copperhead was one of the first one that they said, okay, we make you a limited edition because we were looking for limited edition of our Bermuda, our bitter, our gin, our vodka. And uh, they, were, they were the guys, one of the first ones saying, yes, the gin we do. Then I went to see the distillery. Distillery was amazing. Uh, so we started working on limited edition for Gibson only, you know, but then they, there was so much work going into to make the savory gin, you know, because the spices like mustard seeds or chili or peppercorn, it's very tricky and a lot of hard work, you know, and different distillations uh, to extract it well that actually when we were somewhere in the halfway to making this gin, we realized, you know what, there is so much hard work and we're creating such a unique product uh, that's why it's going to be only limited edition, why it's going to be only for Gibson where we're going to use 100 bottles a year, you know. And uh, they they agreed and they find it uh, interesting enough and they said, you know what, actually we can, uh, we can uh, launch it as a Gibson edition, but not limited edition, Gibson edition. And it really become a world uh, a world product. So it's available now in twenty four five countries. I don't know because of the coronavirus now, but uh, all, all all the market they got and uh, yeah, it was doing very well. I think we we've been selling now for one year and a half, and every three months, ten thousand bottles sold or something like that. Yeah, so uh, very popular, quite unique, savory style. Yeah. So the last thing we do is um, a speed round. So it's uh, 30 seconds. Uh, Rup is going to ask you a series of questions or for you to answer. It's kind of a one choice to other. Um, okay. And basically, I will um, I'll count you down. Okay, okay Marion, I'm going to try and be as quick as I can for you, my man. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm going to give you two options. Just mm-hmm. pick the one you prefer. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll try my best for you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Okay. So go on, David. So here we go. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Negroni or Manhattan? Uh, Manhattan. Scotch or bourbon? Bourbon. Tequila or mezcal? Mm, mezcal. Classic or twist? Mm, classic. Text message or phone call? Mm, text message. Fresh or dehydrated? Uh, fresh. Fruit or vegetable? Uh, vegetable. A book or a movie? Stop. <laughs> and you can answer. I can answer. Yeah. Uh, a book. Yeah, it's the right answer. <laughs> I mm. think we did all right on that one, actually. <laughs> I think that was pretty good, yeah. I mixed it up a little bit there, man. Mm. I mixed it up. Yeah, I see. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure, Marion. Um, Likewise. So thank, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, no, yes. thank you very much for, for your time today. How was it for you? Yeah, great. Thanks, of course. <laughs> 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 it was nice. It was fun. Anything we might have missed that you think listeners uh, might be interested to hear? Or? You, you know what? I think it's 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 not even about to fill it up completely because I, I did some other Zooms and you guys doing another Zooms. And I think uh, when it gets... I did one which was three and a half hours and I think it just become too long, you know? So it's, it's, mm. it's good to make it and stop it at some point. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I would never watch something three and a half hours. I mean, it's... 
that's not Titanic or something like that. I mean, come on. Nah, <laughs> nah. So, um, unless, unless it's a Bollywood movie. Nah, that, yeah. not for three mm. and a half hours, man. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's another one down then for us, Damien. Mm-hmm. How was that for you, brother? No, I loved it. I was, um, thank you again so much for your time. We, we appreciate you're busy um, with all the renovations everything going on so it's um no it's a real pleasure thank you very likewise. much likewise nice to meet you nice to knowing you and meeting you like these guys and uh yeah please pop in for a drink if you if you in london once you reopen oh definitely i want to sneak in the storage room and see what's available <laughs> out of those glasses <laughs> great i was Perfect. i was gonna ask exactly the same thing man we've damien we've been really lucky man with so, some of the people yeah some of the people we've had on absolutely brilliant but it's great to talk to someone so creative, but also made the transition from one country to another. And then obviously had the opportunity to, to open, I hope in his own bar as well. So man, it's, it's yeah, just really cool, isn't it? Let's be honest. So Absolutely. Uh, is it, is it time for us to wrap up now, man? It's time to sign out. So yeah. So everybody, thanks again for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and we'll catch you next time around. And we'll have uh, Marion's uh, details on the bio for his bar and everything else. But in between then, guys, look after yourselves and each other. Love you.